Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. A couple of items first. I, I, I thank Chris, Pastor Chris, deeply for the uh, privilege that he's given me of standing in this pulpit this morning. <laughs> I was sitting in a pew long ago, almost crying. I thought, God, keep my emotions under control. They all just think I'm an old doddering man up here. <laughs> uh, but I do thank him for this privilege. Secondly, I want to publicly thank so many of you who have prayed for my melanoma. Um, I, I have uh, continued and have continued to pray for it. I've had my fourth treatment, uh, and the doctors at Stanford have said things seem to be going well. I had uh, uh, MRI on my brain last week to make sure I had one, <laughs> and uh, um, ultrasound on my neck where lymph nodes were uh, cancerous, and uh, they will continue the treatment that I already have if, um, if everything is okay with those tests. Um, so I want to thank um, the scientists. Uh, they're, they're continuing to develop uh, great medications. Uh, the one I'm on was developed in 19, or 2017. Uh, I received word last week that they have now have um, the Drug Administration, Food Administration has approved the fifth one. Um, uh, in that same category. Um, so I recognize there's three people at work. The medication, your prayers, and uh, God who is the yes. I am. Amen. In Exodus uh, and in Genesis, God is called Yahweh. Uh, I am. And then oftentimes he describes who he is after that. And in Exodus, he was called Yahweh Rothi, God who heals. The God who heals. I praise him for it. It's not been quite a year since I preached here the last time. And uh, I'll refer to that um, in the beginning. Would you turn in the book of Ephesians, the 18th, uh, the 5th chapter and the 18th verse, and just hold that place, uh, and I'll refer to it later. When I finished preaching here a year ago, a little over, a little under a year ago, uh, I, I knew what I had said had left people uh, saying, that's impossible for me to do. Um, but I'd already preached an hour, <laughs> and I, I knew I better close. But Pastor Chris was gracious enough to ask me, and I'd been praying about this sermon for a year. Uh, to try to complete what I told you last year. The sermon last year dealt with the kingdom of God. 
um, I need to refresh your minds about that. Uh, the kingdom of God is what Jesus talked about. 99% of the time, he very seldom referred to being saved. He talked about entering the kingdom of God. He outlined the kingdom of God in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've read chapters 5, uh, 6, and 7 in Matthew, you will understand again what I'm talking about. We live in an alien kingdom. We were born in this alien kingdom. And the alien kingdom's culture is controlled basically by Satan. Uh, and Jesus said to the disciples, you were, you know, we, we talk a lot about heaven. But Jesus didn't refer to heaven so much. He referred to the kingdom of God. And he said, when you... When you come into my presence, you are entering this new kingdom. And it's not something out there. It's something we live in here. So we live in an alien kingdom. We as kingdom people, God's kingdom people, live in this alien world. That is so opposite of what Jesus said. Jesus talked about this kingdom in new ways. He said, my kingdom is like a person who goes to the marketplace. And there he finds a pearl of great price. He goes home, sells everything he has so he can buy that one pearl. It's like an individual plowing in the field and his plow hits upon a box and he digs and finds a treasure box filled with tremendous treasures and the individual goes and sells everything he has in order to buy that field. He said, it's like being born again. We don't remember much about our first birth, but amazingly, we remember that second birth when we entered into God's kingdom, his precious kingdom. Amen. And so, in the Sermon on the Mount, he told about the principles of living in his kingdom, and I I told you there were 33 of them, and I gave the ones that were here three sheets of paper that had all of it listed. Um, I referred to two of the illustrations uh, in the sermon. One of them was uh, retaliation, tit for tat, Sac uh, sarcasm, back with sarcasm, act for act. I also referred to go into the second mile. You see, Jesus told us that we were to go further and do more than we were ever expected to do. He said, the world says, don't commit adultery. I say to you, 
don't have lustful thoughts. Same as adultery in his kingdom. The world says don't murder. I say to you, don't hate. Don't continue that hatred. And many of you left, I'm sure, saying, I can't live that way. I've been raised in this culture, and this culture has so ingrained me that I can't live in kingdom principles. The good news is that uh, Christ provided a way for us to live in this new kingdom. Um, In his last talk with the disciples in the upper room when they had the Last Supper, Jesus told the disciples several things that was going to happen to them and how they could walk in this new kingdom. He said, I am the vine, you're the branches. And as long as you allow the juice, sap, whatever you want to call it, in me to flow into you, you will have power that you never knew before. He said, I'm going to send to you a new comforter. The amazing thing in the Greek, it's a word, uh, the another uh, has two different words in Greek. One of them is the same kind, but a different brand, like an apple and orange. The word Jesus used was the very same type that I am. He, he's an orange, and he'll place within us an orange. So he actually places himself through the Holy Spirit into, into their lives. And then he sent that new comforter on the day of Pentecost. That new comforter came to those 120 people that were praying, and the Holy Spirit himself was placed in their lives. All of the followers and the followers turned the world upside down. In several places in the book of Acts, when Paul would come, they would say, the people who have turned the world upside down are here. And this new power is what Pastor Chris has been talking about the last several Sundays. Uh, The disciples gave a new name for it. They called it being filled with his spirit. Now, being filled with his spirit in Baptist churches has been misused and misaligned many, many times. Uh, And I need to tell you briefly how I became aware of God's spirit. And it, it, it forced me kicking and screaming to enter that new life. 1964, Lauren and I finished, uh, well, next spring we finished seminary and the First Southern Baptist Church in Petaluma called me as pastor in 1964. Uh, Lawanda went into the experience scared to death. We were 24. 
She said, we don't have the experience. We're not old enough. People won't respect us. But it was a wonderful seven years. The entire North Bay was growing. Uh, the word is exponentially. <laughs> um, North Bay was bounding with new population. Petaluma was a sleepy little chicken ranch town of 15,000. In the next seven years, they became 30,000, and the mayor declared a moratorium on growth. And that became a lawsuit, and, you know, she was overthrown. Uh, during the third or fourth year I was there, a man came to my office during Sunday school hour as I was finishing preparation for sermon. And he looked, well, he was shabbily dressed for, to say the least. Looked like he had slept in his clothes. His uh, eyes were red, unshaven, and he asked if he could talk with me. He sat down and unraveled a story of he and his wife fighting for the last couple of years. It was not pretty. Dishes were thrown. No punches were made, but dishes were thrown, screaming and yelling at each other. The night before, they had fought all night long. She ended by saying, Dean, I want a divorce. Ultimately, they got a divorce. He began to attend church, and I learned that he had attended First Southern a few times before I became pastor, but I, I really did not know him. He recommitted his life to Christ and began to grow. Uh, he, I found he had a fair Bible knowledge, and so we asked him to teach the young married Sunday school class, which ran anywhere from 20 to uh, 24 in attendance, uh, 10 to 12 couples. Um, in the following months, a dean met a lady, uh, a fine Christian lady. She was raised Southern Baptist in that area. Um, and she now attended the charismatic church in Oakland. Uh, the charismatic churches were having a new beginning. They were very different than what I grew up knowing. Um, I'll get to that in just a moment. And after two or three months, Dean came and told the class that he had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I didn't know it at the time, but what he meant was that he had been speaking in tongues. Uh, some of the mainline churches in the 1960s and early 70s were becoming charismatic. There was an Episcopal priest in the area who uh, wrote a book by the title of Nine O'Clock in the Morning, in which he referred to the chapter 2 of Acts. 
there was an Episcopal church uh, in seminary area that uh, was having healing services every Thursday night. And some of our uh, students attended there some. One day, Dean called me on the phone and said, Pastor, have you ever been baptized in the Spirit? And I was speechless, taken aback. You see, the only thing I knew about being baptized in the Spirit was the Pentecostal people that I had been raised around. And they talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit a lot, but they talked about uh, an experience of... uh, I call them jabbering. Uh, And many of them receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit almost every Sunday. Uh, And we call them holy rollers. You know, not a very dignified name, but uh, that's what we call them by. They receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and begin to shout and dance and Uh, jump over pews and roll around on the ground. And uh, when Dean asked me if I'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, I said, Dean, I'm a dignified pastor of this church. I've graduated from seminary. The conversation went on for a little while, but uh, a few months later, a few weeks later, one of the families in his class began to attend Pentecostal church at night, and they also received the baptism of the Spirit. And then a few weeks later, a second couple started attending the Pentecostal church. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I knew I was in deep, deep trouble. If this continued, the church would go into a split. I was 27, 28 when all this had happened. And I knew beyond doubt that I had to do something. So Lawanda and I um, came to Merced to uh, Lawanda's parents' home. I brought all the books I had with me on the Holy Spirit. There were seven or eight. Uh, W.A. Criswell, who is pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, was one of them. R.A. Torrey, who had been pastor, uh, an evangelist, and was the uh, president of the Moody Bible Institute, uh, was among the books. But I had five or six others. I spent the entire week in the bedroom praying. reading those books and every uh, passage I could find in the Bible that dealt with the Holy Spirit and praying and looking all the passages up that dealt with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. As a result, I became completely rock-solid, assured, positive about several things. The baptism and filling of the Holy Spirit were very biblical. Listen to me. Baptism and the filling of the Spirit is very biblical. And they were available for us today. Second, that the 
filling of the Holy Spirit was absolutely, absolutely nothing to do with speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is simply one of the 20-some-odd gifts that Paul and Peter write about in their letters. And they are given to Christian people, Christ followers, in order to do what he has called them to do. And then that the baptism of the Holy Spirit took place when you had that new birth experience. When you asked Christ to come into your life and give you his life, the Holy Spirit baptized you by coming into your life at that time. That the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time experience. Paul says that uh, um, there's one baptism of the Holy Spirit, only one. But the filling of the Spirit is mentioned many, 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 many times. And then the last thing I came out with the rock-solid assurance that if God's people are to live and be empowered with God's power in his presence, then it is a must. It is a must for you to be filled. I went back to Petaluma and preached a series of eight or nine sermons dealing with the Holy Spirit, and as a result, Dean left the church. The other two couples left the church. But as another result, I began to try to apply the principle of the filling of the Spirit in my life. I've, I've failed many, many times, but I always come back to the fact The filling of the Holy Spirit is what empowers you to do what you could not do by yourself. And this is what Christ was talking about. He gave us the principles of living. Many times God's people look at those principles and say, they're impossible. I can't do that. I can't live that way because I'm living in this alien world that puts pressure on me to live their way. Christ gave us his presence to live in his kingdom in a new way in this world in which we ask. Now, let me, let me try to answer what I believe is the dilemma of a person saying, I can't live according to the kingdom principles. When we're saved, when we have that new birth experience, when we buy that pearl of great price, when we sell all we have and buy that treasure box of Christ coming into our life, he baptizes us into his kingdom The Holy Spirit comes in and makes residence in our lives. But you see, it depends on what you do afterward. The Spirit lives within us. 
But the disciples found over and over and over again that they had to have that renewing of the Spirit in their life. Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin and it says, And they were filled with the Spirit and spoke boldly to them. Peter was called to go to Caesarea and speak to a Roman centurion. And it says when Peter got there, he was filled with the Spirit and spoke to the individuals. Over and over in Paul's word, he will say, when he went to a town that Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, began to do what he had done. The Apostle John says, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ in you, you are not, uh, that uh, comes in you, you are not part of his. So, you, you examine yourself. I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know whether you have really had that new birth, that pearl of great price, that new birth experience. I, I have no idea. You know. But I do know that you cannot live the Christian life without the filling of the Holy Spirit. There's a track that I ran across several years ago that says, I can't, but Christ in me can. I hope you will remember that phrase. I can't, but Christ in me can. Now let me deal with Ephesians 5.18. I'm going to read verse 15 through 18. Be very careful then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every day's opportunities, because the days are filled with evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord, uh, Lord's will be to be. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debocracy. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In the Greek, it says actual translation. Be you being filled with the Holy Spirit. The verb is present tense, passive mode, and imperative. Now let me expand on those three. You know what an imperative is. It's a command. Christ, through Paul's writings, commanded us. Listen. He commanded us to be filled with his spirit. It's not a suggestion. God is not saying, well, I think maybe you should. If you want to, but if you don't want to, that's okay too. That's not what he was saying. It's a police officer pulling you over as you're driving down the road, speed limiting. And he pulls you over and he comes to your door and he kneels down at your door and said, Please, sir, 
Would you be so kind as giving me your license and your car information? <laughs> hmm. No, he's speaking with the authority of the state of California. And he's saying, sir, I want you to show me your driver's license now. I want you to get the car information out of the glove compartment and show it to me now. It's a command that you had better obey because of the authority that this man has. Uh, it's like a parent whose child has been disobeying time after time after time, and the parent says, go to your room. It's not saying to the child, honey, I've, I've, I've thought all about this. I've thought it over. And if you would like to, I would like for you to go to your room. <laughs> Uh, you know what the authority from a higher power is? It's, it's saying to you, this is what I want you to do. God is commanding. God is commanding us to be filled with his spirit. Because he knew we cannot outlive the Christian life and the kingdom life apart from him. This would never have been written unless it was necessary for that to take place in our lives so we can live the kingdom life. Uh, there's no exceptions to this. If you're a deacon, well, you must be a good man. And so it probably is not necessary for you to be filled with the Spirit. And, and it's okay, deacon, if... Uh, if you don't want to, because you really don't need it. Uh, it's you to have leadership positions in this church. And, and you say, well, well, you know, the church trusted me with this position. I, I, really don't, I, I really don't need it. I can do it. You know, I've done it for years. I really don't need the filling of the Holy Spirit. You're on the church staff, no exception. If Chris, pastor of the church, he is no exception. We cannot live to the fullness of God without his presence and filling in our lives. There is no exception. Second thing, it's passive. It means... You don't have anything to do with it. <laughs> you can't grit your teeth and say, I want to be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> That'll get you nowhere. You see, it's passive. God is saying, I will give it to you. All you have to do is ask and receive it. Simple as that. Just ask me. I will do it for you. And it's from the outside. It's not you trying to do it. And then the third thing, it's present tense. That means I want you to be filled with my spirit right now. And right now. And right now. 
And in the morning when you get out of bed, right now, and when you go to the gym, right now, when you go to work, right now, when you hug your kids goodbye to go to school, right now, and kids, it does not exempt you either. In order for you to live the Christian God life among the alien kids and kingdoms that you're being raised with, you must be filled with his spirit. You look up the phrase being filled with the spirit uh, and, and they're, they're repeated many, many times in the scripture. The, the person that read the Bible uh, reading this morning from Romans, the fifth chapter, before he finished, it says filled with the spirit. Didn't use the word filled, it used the word power. You living with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It was Peter and John, I've already referred to that, as they went before the Sanhedrin. It was Peter who went to Caesarea uh, before the Roman centurion. It was Stephen who preached in Acts, the seventh chapter, and they threatened his life, and he began to preach. And it says that he was filled with the Spirit, and he spoke the words of God concerning what should be taking place in their life concerning Christ. Let me repeat, the only way you can live what I talked about the last time, the principles of the kingdom of God is being filled with his spirit. Yes, we can do some things without God's presence or power, uh, I, I, I'm an accountant. I don't need God to help me add uh, 1,001 to 3,004. I, 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 I've learned that. I know, I, I know how to do that. I don't need the Holy Spirit to do that. Or you may be a carpenter and, and you say, I, I really don't need God's Holy Spirit to be able to use the tools that I use. I've been trained as a journeyman carpenter, and now I'm a full carpenter, and I know how to use all the tools that are here. Uh, I, I don't need the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. I was leading a Bible study one day, and I said, uh, are you willing for me to do brain surgery on you? You see, it's not talking about these physical things. It's saying, accountant, you need my filling of the Holy Spirit because you're working with people. And in order for you to work with people in my kingdom and my principles, it's necessary. Matter of fact, it'll make you a better accountant. Carpenter, I know you are able to do certain things, but you're working around in this alien world. You cannot influence people in this alien world without the filling of my spirit. 
and it will make you a better carpenter. The last question, how is this done? How is it possible? Many of you already know the answer to that, but let me restate it. It's, it's told many, many times in the New Testament of how we can enter into this new power. I, I, I intended to start the sermon with these words and I slipped my mind, but let me tell you right now. I, I came into this sermon with fear and trembling. Because this is a dangerous subject. And it's not only dangerous, it's costly. And if you're willing to be filled with the Spirit, it's going to cost you something. But it, and it's tremendously dangerous because when you begin to live this life, it's different than the alien world that you live in. Colossians 2.2 says, As you began in him, so continue to walk in him. What does that mean? As you started this life, as you began this new birth, where you recognized the sin in your life and that you could not go to heaven, you could not have Christ in your life without this experience. And you repented of your sin. And you invited Christ into your life. And Colossians 2.2 says, as you began, so continue. It means that you ask God as as uh, David did, search me, O God, and know my heart, and show me what is in me, and then repent of it. Not just say, uh, I, I'm sorry. But you repent of it and say, God, I, I need you to help me with this area of my life. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I repent of it and I invite you not to come into my life. The Holy Spirit's already there. You invite him to fill you to the very brim so that you run over with the very presence of God. John 5, 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we have asked, we know that we have it. So I come to God and say, God, I, I repent of all of those thoughts. I repent of all of those acts. And God, I need you to fill me with your spirit. John says, if we pray that way, he will do it. Now, I cannot guarantee that all of a sudden you become a super Christian. It's step by step, just like a baby. 
You invite him to fill you and he begins to give you power to do what you could not do before. And he walks with you and he talks with you and he leads you to grow in him. And when we fail, we come back to him and say, God, I have failed again. I need you to fill me. And he refills us. And you see, there, there's no, it's, it's like going to a, a restaurant that says endless cups of coffee. <laughs> What's that mean? It means you can go back as many times as you want to. <laughs> I don't suggest that. <laughs> uh, but you can go back time and 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 time again. And he fills you. Time and time and time and time and time and time again, he fills us. There's a stipulation, though. I told you it was costly. Because, you see, when, when we ask, we repent, it means... God, I, I repent of all those things, but there's a few things that I really hate to give up. Um, it's giving your life completely to him for him to control it. It's saying, God, here is the keys to every room in my house. Here is the key to my lockbox in the bank. Here is my bank book. Here is my financial accounts with Fidelity or Vancouver or whoever you may have uh, in that type of business affair. It's like him, you saying, God, I, I turn my business life over to you. Every possession I have, it's no longer mine. I am the steward only. You are the owner. I completely give my life to you. And sadly enough, most Christians look at that and say, Oh, so that's what it's going to cost me. Oh, I'm not sure I really want to do that. But when you do that, you are giving up the most marvelous chance to have a new life. Because it is a new life. You're living in a new way. You're, you're in God's kingdom, and you're living by his principles. In Romans, it says the filling or the, the Holy Spirit is peace, love, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you want peace, joy in your life, you give your life to him and say, God, it's no longer mine. I give it all to you. Let me close with two silly illustrations. Some of you know that I've been sort of a 
sports buff, buff all of my life. Um, I was involved in some type of competitive sports until about four years ago when my wife had uh, had uh, Alzheimer's and I was forced to uh, begin to stay at home with her. While I was in high school, I lettered in three different sports. Um, all three years I was eligible in those days, only um, sophomores, juniors, and seniors could play on the varsity. And I lettered in all of those and I, I thought I was a pretty good basketball player. <laughs> you may look at me walking now and wonder, how could that old man be a basketball player? <laughs> uh, but in the 1950s and early 60s, I considered myself a pretty good basketball player. I went to Wayland Baptist College, and when I was there, I played on the freshman team. Uh, it was back in those days when uh, freshmen could not play on the varsity in college. They had to play freshman ball. And uh, uh, I, I found out I was not near as good as I thought I was. Uh, I, I was not as good at shooting uh, and dribbling. <laughs> those guys I couldn't guard because <laughs> they were so good at dribbling. Our ball handling, our fast uh, now, I, I want you to imagine with me. <laughs> I want you to imagine. <laughs> I'm a freshman at Wayland today, but otherwise the world is the, is the same. And so I, 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 I'm involved in a game. Um, I started, and, and uh, when I was uh, on the court, I was not playing <laughs> very well. I had my pocket picked several times when I was dribbling. I, uh, shooting was not uh, very good, and my passing really left something to be desired. And then um, coach pulled me out and said, go sit on the bench. <laughs> and I looked up in the stands, and, and two seats above us was Stephen Curry. And I saw him motioning to me. So I thought, that's strange. But I went up and sat down beside me. And he said, Ray, you're having a pretty rough time out there, aren't you? And I said, well, that's an understatement. Uh, and then he said, you don't know it, but in, the, in your back there's a zipper. And if you will allow me to, I'll unzip you and I'll step inside your body. And if you'll let me control your body actions, then I'll play through you. And I thought, oh, that's, that's absurd. That's strange. But I said, I, I don't have anything to lose. So we went off into a corner and he unzipped my back and he stepped into me. And I went back to the bench, and after a little while, the coach said, uh, Ray, I, I want you to go in, but I want you to try a little harder this time than what you were a while ago. So I went back in the, on, the, on the court, and um, this time, Stephen Curry was controlling all of my body. 
and the guard, and they passed me the ball, and the guard was in front of me, and I started this way, and he moved that way to stop me, and I dribbled the ball behind my back, and I went the other way, and he moved over there, but he was still leaning, so I dribbled back again, and I went in and made a layup. <laughs> Next time down, they passed me the ball, and my guard was, you know, four or five feet away from me because he, he thought I might do that again. And so I just, you know, nothing but net. Half continued. My passing was pinpoint, and there were several assists, and my dribbling was great. Then the half ended, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. And I went to the locker room, and I began to think, uh, Ray, maybe if you did this, it'd be a little better. (laughs) And, and maybe if you made that move, it would be better. So we went back on the court, and the coach continued to play me. And uh, this time, it was not Stephen Curry controlling my body. It was me again, and my passes were off, and my shooting was off. My dribbling was off, and I had my pocket picked several times. Uh, And you see, this is much the same thing as what I was talking about before. When we try to do it, we can't. I can't, but Christ in me can. You see, we do have that zipper on the back and the Holy Spirit comes into our life and he begins to live his life in us. If, if, if we ask him to fill us, we ask him to fill us. I want to give another illustration. I was preaching one night uh, on, the, on this subject, not near as uh, intense as I am this morning. But I asked, uh, I had a pitcher of water in glass uh, on a stand by my side, and I I asked one of the uh, young students, a junior high boy, to come on the stage, and I I put the, filled the water half full, and I said, Richard, I want you to take the water, or I didn't say water, I want you to take the glass and walk back and forth for a minute, and he did, and he came back and set the glass down. I said, Richard, did you spill any? He said, No. I said, why not? And he said, because it wasn't full. And I said, Richard, what was in the glass? And he said, well, pastor, you poured water in it. You ought to know. (laughs) And so I poured the glass half full, or three quarters full. Same thing. He walked back and forth, and he came back, and I said, Richard, did you spill any? And he said, no. And I said, why not? And he said, because it was just three quarters full. And so I took the pitcher and I filled it to the very brim where it was almost ready to run over. You know how that is when they fill your coffee cup so full that, you know, you can't put it to your mouth. I, I filled it that full and I said, Richard, I want you to walk him back and forth. And he walked him back and forth and he began to spill some water. He came back and set it down and I said, Richard, did you spill any? He said, yes. And I said, why did you spill it? 
He said, because it was too full and it just ran over. I said, Richard, what was in the what was in the cup and the glass? And he said, it was water. I said, Richard, why didn't you spill chocolate milk? He said, because it wasn't wasn't chocolate milk, it was water. I know they're silly illustrations. But people, that's what happens in the Christian life. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life at baptism, he doesn't come in completely filling you. That comes with your asking him to fill you. And when you walk with the Spirit in you halfway, all that you spill over is the world culture. And the world looks at you and said, hmm, hmm, no different than us. But when you're full of the Spirit, you're full of God's presence, you have turned every inch of your body from the head of your toe to the tips, or the head of your toes, (laughs) The, the top of your head to the tip of your toes, and from fingernail to fingernail. You've asked him to fill every part of you. You've given him the keys of your life. You've given him the account of your bank book and say, God, that's not my money. It's yours. And God, this, this is not me. It's you. I invite you to fill me to the brim. And then when you walk in this alien culture, you begin to see and spill over what's in you. Tell me, the Holy Spirit's in you because he has filled you to the very brim. And so the Spirit of God spills over and he has empowered you to do that which you could not do by yourself. I can't, but Christ in me can. Let me catch up with my notes here. With that amazing commitment that you've made to God, you can witness to people like you never thought you could before. That neighbor that is antagonizing you, you can do but good back to them. You never thought you could. That person that gets on the telephone and talks about you and runs you down, you don't call them back anymore and say, what are you doing to me? Instead, you call the person up and say, you know, I love you. I'd like to pray for you right now. Would you mind? You couldn't do that before. But Christ in you, filled with his spirit, can do it. You see, God does not want half-filled Christians. In the book of, uh, Galat- or book of uh, Revelation, 
the church, one of the seven churches, was called lukewarm. <laughs> they were only filled part way. God said, I'll spew them out of my mouth. He, he doesn't want half-filled Christians. He wants you completely filled with his presence so that you will walk in this alien kingdom with his power. And you will walk differently than you ever have before. Because God is empowering you to do what you could not do before. I told you it's dangerous. It is. It's dangerous because you will begin to live different among your neighbors and among the people that you work with. And the kids, the school that you go to, you will begin to live different and they'll see a difference in your life and they may poke fun of you. It's dangerous. But people, you will have peace, love, and joy. <laughs> That's what counts. That inward peace, love, and joy. Of the Holy Spirit controlling your life. Amen. Again, this is not uh, not something you do once and it's done. It's done over and over and over again in your life. And. It's not, that's what we call sanctification in the New Testament. Sanctification is a process that you begin to, God, I want you to fill me. And you begin to change. God, I need you to fill me. And you begin to grow. God, I need your presence. And you begin to grow. And your life changes. I'm going to ask Dave to come and lead us in a song. I would urge you, if you're living partly in this alien kingdom with its principles, and just partly in God's kingdom, I would urge you this morning to come to this altar and kneel and pray and say, God, forgive me. I want the power of your Holy Spirit to help me live that new kingdom life. I don't want any longer to live in this alien world with the alien principles controlling my life and my language like the alien people that uses I don't even want to mention what the language is like. And I've heard Christians use that language. I no longer want to live in that type of life. I want to live according to your principles. I want to be empowered with your presence so that I can live kingdom life. I would ask you to come and, and kneel and pray and ask that, but that's not a 
no, that's not a requirement. You know, the New Testament didn't say you, you have to come to the church and kneel down in front. It said wherever you are, you simply confess and repent. Invite Christ to fill you with his presence of his Holy Spirit. Uh, the reason I ask people to come forward because it shows other people that you're committing your life to this. It's not done in secret. Uh, it's not uh, hiding the light. And it's not hiding it in a bushel basket somewhere or in a dark closet somewhere. It's open and public. And you're saying before everyone else, I want God's spirit to fill my life from this time on and it's over and over and when you fail it does it again by saying I need you to fill me with your spirit Amen. <sighs> dangerous but transforming let me pray for just a moment and then David is going to lead us in a hymn and if God has been speaking to your life I invite you and I urge you with fear and trembling to ask him to fill you with his presence. Heavenly Father, your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. And it says it cuts asunder and cuts to the bone and cuts to the heart. And Lord, I know your word this morning has cut to the heart of many people. And Lord, I don't know the response. Uh, I have simply left this in your hand because it's not between me and them. Uh, it's between them and you. And they have to make this decision of whether they want to continue to live in the alien kingdom with Satan as the ruler, or they want you to control them and you give your life completely to them. I ask for you to control the rest of the service this morning. It's in the powerful, almighty name of God our Savior. And I pray. Amen. Would you stand, please? What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? I don't there need to be at the front. No you come. For heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to Him. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing All is mine 
yet not I, but through Christ. People, it's not for those that are young and still have life before them. It's for senior adults like me. But I am need not forsaken. His presence for to live His my life. Side, my Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, His power is displayed. To this I hope, my shepherd will. morning we're grateful for your provision not of things in our life but your provision of your son willingly giving his life and being raised from the dead for our sins and for eternal life
but also for giving us your Holy Spirit. And may we, into this week, off of the wonderful words that you've given Pastor Reed to speak to us, may we make the choice, as John the Baptist stated, may I decrease that he increase. It's a choice we make, but may we make that choice to glorify you in all we think, do, and say. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.